I just, uh, I'm going to give um, Paul some thanks. Has Paul disappeared again? Are we here now? Oh, oh hi, Paul. Yeah. Um, when I was um, preparing this, speech, uh, this preach, I had a bit of a problem because I didn't have an introduction for it. And you know, with preaches, or if you preach, you know this, you're meant to have an introduction, you're meant to have the main body of the speech, and then you're meant to have your landing place at the end. So I'm, I'm kind of doing it. Start, I felt like I started in the middle. So um, I kind of came up with an introduction in the end, which involved kind of bringing um, a whole load of fruit and throwing it at, at you this morning uh, for reasons which will become clear. But it never felt quite right, that. <laughs> so I left the fruit bowl at home and thought I'd wing it. And then Paul uh, this morning uh, gave me my introduction. You know when Holy Spirit says, there you go. And he talked about a countdown. Countdown to Christmas, yeah. How many, um, how many of you have got an advent calendar or an advent candle or your kids have at home? Yeah. Yeah, I have too. We have about four advent calendars and I've got an 18 year old at home now, so, hmm. <laughs> um, but, and the, the advent candle as well. I mean, um, actually I have to confess that I just remembered this morning that the advent candle is still in the cupboard. And that happens quite commonly at Christmas. Um, about day four of Advent, I suddenly remember, get the candle out, and then you've got to burn it furiously to get back to the day that you're meant to. And then you forget about it, and it manages to take three more days than you intended. Anybody else done that, or is it just me? Yeah, there you go. Okay. But actually, we don't always think about that, do we? We just start... Um, on the 1st of December, because we give our kids Advent calendars or we get our candle out. But actually, we're counting down. We're counting down to Christmas. And I'd like to suggest this morning that when we count down to Christmas, we count down to hope. Because Jesus came to be the light and the hope of the world. And he's still the light and the hope of the world today. So, you know, look at your Advent calendar a bit differently when you go back home um, this morning or this afternoon by the time you get home. But I've been thinking about um, spiritual fruits, fruits that we have in our life. God has been getting me to kind of think around that recently. And how those fruits grow in our lives and how they develop in different seasons. Because we are meant to have fruit in our lives, whatever the season. Whether it's um, a good season, whether it's a difficult season, we can have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. But if I was going to sit stand here this morning and talk about all the fruits of the Spirit and, and all the different kind of ways that they grow, we would probably be here till next Christmas. Um, so I really want to concentrate on the, the one that God, or the one thing that God has really been putting on my heart. And I called this, this preach, the tree of hope produces lasting fruit. God gave me a picture of a tree. And the tree is called hope. So before I start to preach, really preach this morning, I want you to close your eyes for me if that's okay. And we are just going to picture that tree of hope that all of us can have in our lives. The tree of hope has a strong, sturdy trunk. It has broad branches that reach up to the sky and roots that go deep into a good rich soil. When you look at that tree, you know that the storm winds aren't going to be able to topple it because it's firm and it's secure. And as you look up into the branches, you can see large sweet fruits, different kinds hanging from the branches waiting to be picked. And you know that that fruit is good fruit 
and its fruit that will last. So if you keep that picture of the tree of hope in your mind as we go through that, the preach, and hopefully it will speak to you this morning. So where am I going to start? Well, the first thing I want to say about hope is that hope is a mindset. What does mindset mean? It's a word that gets banded around quite a lot, doesn't it? We hear it used quite often. But actually what a mindset is, is it's a set of um, established beliefs that we hold about something. And first and foremost, foremost, hope is a mindset. It's not wishful thinking. It's not uncertainty. It's not insecure. It's not a fearful sort of hope. In the world, you know, people often say things, don't they? Like, oh, I hope it turns out all right. Or I hope I get what I need. And normally when people say things like that, they don't really think um, it's going to happen. Or they're certainly not certain that it's going to happen. But you see, our hope, Christian hope, isn't like that. Our hope is certain. Our hope is secure. If you look at the Greek word for hope, this is how you can translate it. Hope is an expectation of good. And hope is a joyful, confident expectation of eternal salvation. So an expectation of good and a confident, joyful expectation of eternal salvation. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning... I'm hoping that you have a fairly confident expectation of salvation. Most of us probably would say that was true. But when it comes to an expectation of good, if we're really honest with ourselves, is it true that that sometimes changes a bit depending on the circumstances that we're going through? If we're going through, you know, a really good time, everything's working out, things are going as we kind of planned, then it's pretty easy to expect good. But when it's a tough season, when in our lives we go through difficult circumstances, then sometimes it's a bit harder to hold on to that expectation of good. Jeremiah 28, 11 says this. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And 1 Peter 1.13 says, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. You see, it's part of God's plan for us that we have one of those sturdy, secure, well-rooted, fruitful trees of hope in our life, like the one that we imagine together. And it's, it's a tree that shouldn't come and go depending on the circumstances or get overwhelmed by the storms of life, which all of us experience at some time. When Stuart and I were down in Cornwall in uh, June, we were quite excited because it was, um, do you remember Storm Ophelia or whatever it was called when the kind of, you know, we kind of got the dregs of it, didn't we? Sort of high winds and so on. Well, we were down in Cornwall at that time and, and Stuart and I absolutely love going to look at the waves in Cornwall. You get some fantastic waves down there. And we were staying quite a long way down in St. Ives, which is on the north coast. So we'd heard that that night, you know, the dregs of the storm were going to arrive and we were thinking, great, in the morning, we'll kind of throw back the curtains because we had a view of the sea and we'll see these amazing waves, you know, pounding the beach. So we got up that morning, we threw back the curtains and we saw absolutely nothing. <laughs> the waves were just sort of, if anything, they looked even less uh, interesting than they normally do. So we're like, 
well, what, you know, what's happened to kind of storm Ophelia? I thought we were going to get these great waves to have a look at. Anyway, my husband, who's uh, kind of thought about it a bit more, he, he said, ah, but it's coming up from the south, which it was, and we were on the north coast. So he said, okay, let's get in the car, let's drive down to Land's End, because Land's End is right on the tip where you turn the corner. So once you've gone past Land's End, you're then on the south coast. And it's the most westerly, um, southwesterly point um, in, uh, in, in England. So we get into the car and we leave St. Ives. Uh, 20 minutes or so later, we arrive at Land's End. Now, when we left St. Ives, remember I told you, not much wind, no waves. We pull into the car park at Land's End, and as Stuart turns the engine off, the car is shaking with the wind. And we get out of the car, and I have never experienced wind quite like that. We kind of stagger across to, um, to the kind of where you can, you can look out. Land's End is, is um, on cliffs, quite high cliffs, so you're not down on the beach. And I have never in my life seen waves and boiling water like there, there was that day at Land's End. And just off the shore, if any of you know that area, a little way out, um, there's a lighthouse called Longship's Lighthouse. And it's an old lighthouse, an old stone lighthouse. So it's not one of the huge, huge ones where they used to have kind of people in it, but it's a tall lighthouse. And it's been there a very long time. And way out where the lighthouse was, the waves were breaking over the top of the lighthouse. And you know... There was no chance that lighthouse was going to get washed away by the storm. It stood there a long time. It's secure. It's firm. And nothing is going to kind of put that light out or stop the lighthouse doing uh, what it's, it's there to do. And that's the kind of tree of hope that we're to have in our lives. It's a, it's a tree that doesn't get um, knocked down by storms. It's a tree that stands secure, secure whatever the season that we're going through. You see, hope doesn't only desire good, it also expects it to happen. Hope says this, it says, your future is glorious, your present is secure, and your past is made good. Your future is glorious, your present is secure, and your past is made good. I often come back to the story of Joseph um, when I'm preaching. He seems to kind of fit into most, most things that you're preaching on. When he was a young man, he was pretty brash. When he was 17, he was secure in the fact that he was his father's favorite son. And he um, was not adverse to telling his brothers or probably anyone else who would listen, you know, what amazing things there were in store for him. You remember he had his dreams and then told his brothers that they were going to bow down to him. Now, um, his brothers had a slightly different way of looking at that. Joseph was too young and too immature to understand and to deal with the feelings of others. And because of really those mistakes that he made when he was young, he was sold into slavery by his brothers and he went on a journey. And that journey involved rejection, hardship, injustice and suffering. And yet, at the end of it, he was so changed that he was able to look at his brothers with love and say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. 
We don't know how long Joseph actually spent in prison. You know, he was sold into slavery in Potiphar's house and then falsely accused and put into prison. We don't know how long that was, but we do know that from the time that he was taken into slavery until the time he was able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, which led to his release from prison and his elevation to being a ruler in Egypt, that was 13 years. Imagine keeping hope for 13 years to the extent that at the end of it, you could say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. No bitterness, nothing there where he could have, you know, he could have taken it out on his brothers. But no, he had changed. And the Bible says in Romans 8:28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And Joseph is a really good example of that because God will use whatever circumstances we find ourselves in for our good. It doesn't always mean a change of circumstances there and then, but actually having the faith that God is so for us that even in the most difficult of circumstances, he will work it for our good. He will mature us to be more like Christ is an amazing thing. And Joseph was the kind of embodiment of that as he went through this difficult journey and came out of it at the end, still with his hope. But how does the tree of hope grow? Well, the tree of hope will only grow and be sustained when its roots reach down into good soil. Now, some of that's pretty obvious. Um, he, you know, God has produced, uh, produced the soil for us. The good soil is the good news of Jesus. It's the grace of God, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit. But it also grows stronger as I start to really understand what that means for me. When I become a Christian, it's like those little roots start to grow down into the soil that God has produced. And as I understand more of his love for me, more of his goodness, more of his power, more of my identity in him and more of my security in him, then the roots get deeper and the tree of hope grows stronger in my life. And as that tree grows, it starts to produce fruit. And the fruit um, is a fruit that lasts. So what is it? Well... The tree of hope's not like a tree you might find in the garden. I've got damson trees in the garden. I've got cherry trees in the garden. Some of you probably got apple trees or pear trees. But if I went out to my garden and and went up to my damson tree expecting to find cherries, well, it's just not going to happen, is it? If you go out to your apple tree and think, oh, I'd like to have some pears growing on my apple tree as well as the apples, well, that's not going to happen because the fruits grow on the tree that is an apple tree or a pear tree. They can't bear other kinds of fruits. But the tree of hope is an amazing tree because it bears all sorts of hope, uh, all sorts of fruits. In Galatians 5.22, we read about some of these fruits, the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those fruits of the Spirit are fruits that you'll find on the tree of hope. And actually, there are more than that. I found one which I couldn't resist this morning because I thought it was great. 2 Corinthians 3.12 says, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. So hope produces boldness as well as all those other fruits that I've mentioned. And I'm not going to go through them all today, but just to say that these, these fruits, they are a heart response to the love and the power and the grace of God in Jesus 
and through the Holy Spirit. So what I mean by that is, you know, if, for example, you got up in the morning, you thought, right, okay, I am going to make myself joyful today. I am going to be full of joy. You can't actually do that by an act of will. You can choose to to put yourself in a place to experience it. Um, You know, we often say here, well, even if you don't feel like laughing, laugh. And often God meets you in that place. But you can't, by your willpower, make those things appear because they are fruits of the Spirit. Joy, for example, it says in Romans 12, 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit that is a spontaneous heart response to God and what he's done. And peace is the same. Romans 15:13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll say that again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we trust in him because of the hope within us. And he, the God of hope, fills us with joy and peace. And then through the Holy Spirit, we start to overflow with hope. And when that happens, when we start to overflow with hope, then we start to impact the world around us. And we can change the atmosphere. We can change the way people see things. We become hope bringers ourselves. But you can't be a hope bringer unless you first have hope. We have to experience that hope of God and the fruits that go with it, joy, peace, patience, love, all those things. And the more that becomes true in our lives, the more through the Holy Spirit we start to overflow and become hope bringers. You know, it's, um, it's much easier to love, to be patient, to be kind. And it's easier to expect good things and to hope in glory when we um, understand um, hope in our lives and what that means when we have that tree of hope. Because when we truly know how God is for us in every conceivable way, and when we really believe that our future is glorious, our present is secure, and our past is, is redeemed, really, it makes it easier for us to love. I don't need to be selfish I don't need to be grasping. I don't need to be manipulative because I know he's for me. And it's easier then to to love um, others and to want other people's good, want their good. And also, when I know all those things, then I'm free to be bold and to take risks of faith. I don't... I don't um, have hope because I feel hopeful. Okay, It's not about a feeling. I have hope because God is the God of hope and he says that hope is mine. And sometimes we allow our feelings to get away in the truth that God is the God of hope. That all sounds great, but sometimes we really have to battle for hope. We have to contend for it. We have to fight to hold on to it. We go through difficult circumstances, and in difficult circumstances, keeping a firm hold of that hope is a battle. 
and we do need to contend for it. So I want to say just a few things about that. Firstly, there are times in our lives when we have to hope against all hope. In other words, we know God has said something or promised something. There have been words over our lives, but the circumstances seem to point the other way entirely. In Romans 4, um, 18, it says this, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it's been said to him, so shall your offering be. You know, I think Abraham must have had to remind himself many times over the years what God had said to keep that hope alive. Because the circumstances, the age of him and his wife, did not make that look very likely. But against hope, Abraham, in hope, believed. And reminding ourselves of what God said is one of the ways that we can battle against discouragement and hold on to hope. I'm preaching to you this morning, but sometimes in situations in which we're struggling um, to keep our hope, we need to preach to ourselves, literally. The psalmist does that this many times. In Psalm 42, he says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Declaring the truth is a way of contending for hope when we don't feel it. Um, Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And if that's something that you've, you've not done before, well, just let me say that declaring truth, preaching to ourselves, it strengthens us, it strengthens our hope. And it's also a way that we can take thoughts captive, especially those naughty thoughts that keep us awake in the middle of the night when we're trying to sleep. Or the ones that distract us during the day when we're trying to deal with a difficult situation. If, um, if, you, uh, if, if that's something you've not tried before, I'd recommend this book by Steve Backland, You're Crazy If You Don't Talk to Yourself. It's, re- <laughs> it's really good at explaining how we can declare truth over ourselves and, um, and, and start to see the fruit of that in our lives. Another way of um, strengthening myself when I need to hope against hope is to remember what God's done in the past, either for myself or through the testimony of of others. So if I was to say to you this morning, who has received um, financial support or uh, healing or uh, answers to prayers over the last year, for example? There you go. So that should really encourage you guys. Okay, we should be encouraged by what God has done for us, but also what he's done in other people. And sharing those stories can help us in difficult times to keep that hope alive. The second thing I just want to say quickly is, um, if I want to contend for hope, then I have to think very carefully about where I put my trust. In this church, we believe that God heals, and we um, have many, many testimonies uh, from the healing center and from other folk you know, in the church who have prayed for people and seen them healed. We also have lots of GPs in this church, and we equally believe that God has given us medicine and that it's good for us to access what God has provided. And when we're in, um, in if, if we're sick, if we have some serious illness, we're going to go and we're going to get prayed for and we're going to believe in God and what he can do. We're also going to access medicine. And there are, there are other circumstances in our lives that we go through where we might 
go and access some help. You know, if we're in debt, we might go and access help in dealing with that. You know, if we need a job, we're going to perhaps go to the job centre or whatever it is. We need to access help. Sometimes we go to other people and we ask them to pray for us and to support us. That's all great. But those things are the weapons that we pick up to go to war with. So when we go to the doctors and we get our medicine, or we have a decision to make about some treatment that we need, those are weapons that we pick up and we carry into the battle to help us fight. But they're not what we trust in. We trust in God. The problem with trusting in weapons is it's really easy for the enemy to say to you, your weapon isn't big enough to deal with that issue. But he can't say that about God. So we use the weapons he gives us, but our trust is in God. Gideon. Gideon started off being a bit dubious about what he could achieve, but eventually came round to believe, well, maybe God was with him and maybe they could defeat these Midianites that had been oppressing um, Israel. He thought he, yeah, he had 30,000 men, that looked good. But God made him go through a process of whittling those down until he ended up with 300, 300 warriors to fight the hordes of Midianites. Why did God do that? Because Gideon needed to know that his trust wasn't in his warriors, it was in God. We need to trust in God, not in things or in people. They can support us, they can come alongside us, they can help us fight, but our trust needs to be in God. If we, um, if we trust in things, things or people rather than God, um, when the enemy comes along and you know, tells us that's not strong enough, we can get into a place of hopelessness. And in a place of hopelessness, because that's a tree as well, the tree of hopelessness produces fruits like fear, anxiety, despair and timidity. I don't want those fruits in my life. I want the fruits the tree of hope produces. And we're we're just about to run out of time. But I just want to say the third thing is that we need to look for where God is rather than where he isn't when we go through difficult circumstances. We often, you, know, you hear people say, I don't understand why that happened. I don't know why God did that. I don't know. Actually, that doesn't help us. It doesn't bring us hope. But when we look at the circumstances that we go through, we can always find God in them. So look for where God is rather than for where he, he isn't. A friend of mine, five years ago, her daughter um, had um, a, um, a bleed into the brain. And it was a really difficult time for them. She was in intensive care. And if you're a medic, you know that if someone's had um, that kind of bleed that she had, the prognosis is very poor. And even those who survive it often have long-term difficulties. But my and, my and my friends are Christian, and so it was a very difficult time. But actually, they were able to see where God was in it. She had an abnormality in the brain, which is what caused that bleed. Um, and so that was there from birth. But when she had the bleed, something had happened unexpectedly, so she wasn't driving her car, which she should have been. She had just got back into her car, which was outside the doctor's surgery in New Ash Green. Someone spotted her, slumped her over the wheel very quickly and went in and got the GP. And within a very short time, she was on her way to King's. Five years later, she's finished university. She is completely fine. She has no long-term issues whatsoever, except she'd say she gets a bit tired sometimes or her short-term memory is perhaps not quite as sharp as it was. 
It didn't make that journey any easier for them. They can look back now and see that, you know, she's, she's fine. But they had to go through that journey. And actually, my friend was able to see where God was in it. Equally, I have a friend whose husband died at a young age just a few years ago. And that was a really tough time. But I went to her wedding um, a few weeks ago. And she, the whole wedding was about hope. She was marrying a man who had also lost his wife five years before and left him with, you know, teenage children. And both of them were talking about the hope that God had given them and how God had actually now brought them together. So rather than the focus being on what she had lost and the fact that her husband had lost, she was able to say, God gave us time to talk. God gave us time to sort things out. And I saw her husband just before he died. And he was asked, so how does it feel now you've come to the end of your race? And he said, fantastic. So when you go through difficult circumstances, remember, we need to put our trust in God. We need to remember what God said and declare truth over us, ourselves. And we need to look for where God is rather than where he isn't. I know some of you had to go and get your children, but I'm aware that this, some of what I said this morning might resonate with some of you. So if you are in need of hope this morning, or if you need, to, you know that you need to put your trust back into God, or you need more joy and you need more peace, just stand up for me. Or if you need to forgive God for a situation that you've not really been able to understand, just stand for me. If you're, if you're near them, just pop a hand on them, and I'm just going to pray very quickly as we finish the meeting. Thank you, Father, that you are the God of hope. Nothing is impossible for you. You know every heart and you know every situation here this morning. Father, we just ask that you would fill us now with your hope and your joy and your peace. And we choose to put our trust in you. Father, we trust you for the security of our present and for the gloriousness of our future. Amen.